have to to join Dr. Hinshaw to provide our weekly update on COVID-19 in Alberta. The data we're sharing today is from Tuesday, May the 3rd to Monday, May the 9th. I'm pleased to report that we continue to see signs of declining viral transmission across the province. Our average PCR test positivity rate is about 23%. A month ago, we were around 27%. Compared to the peak in early January, we're almost down by half. This downward trend indicates that transmission is slowing. Virus levels in our wastewater are also trending down almost at every site. That includes Calgary and area, which has been near the previous peak level but is now turned down. And most important of all, I'm pleased to report that hospitalizations decreased over the past week, including patients in ICU with COVID. It's still early days. All these numbers fluctuate from day to day, and they won't necessarily drop in a straight line from here. But it looks like the peak in hospitalizations was April 26, around two weeks ago, and the trend should be down from here. That would be in line with our past experience uh, and with the experience in Quebec and Ontario, where we're seeing the numbers in hospital turn down over the past two to three weeks, following the same turn in wastewater and in case data. This is good news for Albertans and for our hospitals and our health system overall. Assuming it continues, it will mean fewer admissions, fewer beds blocked, and fewer staff off sick because of COVID. Now, emissions may not continue to drop straight down every day, but we hope to see relief soon for the staff and physicians in our hospitals. COVID itself is adding less to the numbers in hospital right now than we've seen in the past waves, but the system is under real strain nonetheless. As I've noted before, hospital occupancy is high in Edmonton and in Calgary in particular, and a few of the largest sites are operating at over 100% capacity. There have been peak levels on and off recently right across the province, but the pressure is concentrated in the two big cities in line with our usual trends. Overall occupancy in the five smaller regional sites in May to date is well within levels at this time of year uh, in past years before the pandemic. In EMS and emergency in particular, we're seeing very high numbers of patients and pressure on response times as a result. As I said before, This wave of demand on the system will pass, but we can't just wait for that to happen. The system needs more capacity so that it's not strained so much at peak times, regardless of COVID. We're supporting AHS and adding staff right across the system, including in key areas, and I'm looking forward to giving an update on this in the coming days. As to why we're seeing such heavy volume right now, there's no one single cause for it. The realities is that volumes in emergency vary widely from one month to another month and year over year. We're seeing a cyclical peak right now, like some of the higher seasonal peaks we've seen in past years, and like we're seeing in other provinces. Part of it is late season influenza and other infections circulating more as people get back to normal. And when I speak to clinicians and and conversations that I've had over the past week, they say another big part of it is a rebound in demand because people deferred so much routine care, especially early on in the pandemic, 
Volumes in primary care dropped shortly at that point in time, including a drop as much as a quarter in emergency visits. Our healthcare providers have worked hard to be available and encourage patients to come in, and the system has mostly recovered in terms of access to that routine care, like cancer screening, for example. But COVID-19 is going to keep impacting the system right across the country for some time, even as the current wave of the virus recedes. For those still at higher risk, we continue to look for any new tool that can help. And that includes looking closely at how we make the best use of Paxlovid. To date, over 2,000 prescriptions have been provided and our supply sits at nearly 30,000. Paxlovid is not the right choice for everyone. Its use is based on expert judgment of the balance of benefits and risks for different groups of patients. Our experts have looked at Alberta's data which shows an increase in hospitalization risk for older Albertans with certain conditions, regardless of their vaccination status. Those conditions include diabetes, obesity, chronic kidney disease, congestive heart failure, COPD, and moderate to severe asthma. Based on this review, I'm pleased to announce that we're expanding eligibility for Paxlovid. Starting today, it will include people age 60 and over, and First Nations people age 50 and over with two or fewer doses of COVID-19 vaccine and at least one pre-existing condition, and people age 70 and over and First Nations people age 60 and over with three or fewer doses of vaccine and two or more pre-existing conditions. Now, that's in addition to the people who are currently eligible That's immune-compromised Albertans and all those living in continuing care, regardless of their vaccination status. Now, I I understand this is is complex, but the details can be found online at ahs.ca backslash COVID-OPT. Again, that's ahs.ca COVID-OPT. A reminder that time is of the essence when using Paxlovid. So if you have a a positive COVID-19 test and believe you may be eligible for the drug, please contact your primary care provider or AHS for more information. And of course, while Paxlovid is an important option, vaccination continues to be the best way to protect ourselves and others around you. This includes getting every dose we're currently eligible for, including boosters. That's why last week, we launched an awareness campaign to remind Albertans 12 years of age and older to get their third doses. The theme of this campaign is it's time to get your third dose, and its sole objective is to have more Albertans boost their protection against severe outcomes of COVID. We're investing in this campaign to help prevent as many people as possible from facing serious illness, hospitalization, and death from the virus. And we know that the one best way to do that is to get more Albertans to choose to get vaccinated. I've heard some questions about the uptake of fourth doses since we've expanded eligibility last month, and I want to provide an update on our progress so far. As of May 9th, more than 120,000 eligible Albertans have received their fourth dose. Eligibility includes all individuals 70 and older, First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people aged 65 and older, and all seniors in congregate care. But remember that these individuals need to wait five months from their third dose. That's an important point because not everyone in the target groups are currently eligible. For some, it may still be a month or longer before they're eligible for their fourth dose. 
That ensures that Albertans are getting the optimal protection available from each dose. And as more Albertans reach their five-month milestone in the coming weeks, we expect fourth doses to continue to rise accordingly. But we're not just waiting for that to happen. Alberta Health is working with our partners to ensure that as many eligible Albertans as possible receive a fourth dose with a focus on operators of congregate care sites where seniors live. Over the last month, public health teams across the province have been working closely with continuing care operators to ensure they have the support they need for their residents to get a fourth dose. AHS will continue to work with them until all sites have been able to offer residents a the COVID-19 vaccine, and we'll continue to monitor and take further action as needed. So once again, I would like to uh, give special thanks to all of our healthcare workers for doing such a tremendous job in getting us through this BA2 wave. And with that, I'd like to now invite Dr. Hinshaw to give her update. Thank you, Minister, and good afternoon, everyone. Before I get to our COVID numbers, I would like to provide an update on two other public health matters. First, I'd like to provide an update on severe acute hepatitis in children, particularly as this week a number of possible cases were announced in Ontario. Alberta has been working closely with federal, provincial and territorial partners to monitor emerging information. We've also been working to align our reporting criteria with other provinces and territories, in this case the current World Health Organization and Public Health Agency of Canada definitions. This will allow us to consistently report case information to the federal government and help contribute to the global body of work to understand more about this condition. Late last week, Alberta shared information with clinicians on this province on what to look for and how to report acute severe hepatitis of unknown cause in children. We're currently in the early days of working to gather information and there have been two possible cases reported to us in Alberta youth under the age of 16. Due to patient confidentiality, we'll not be providing identifying details. However, I can report that one individual has been treated, discharged from hospital and is doing well, and one remains in hospital undergoing treatment. It is important to remember that the definition for possible cases is very broad, which means that any child with severe liver inflammation for whom a cause is not found is being counted. There are many causes of hepatitis and it can take time to investigate to determine if there is a known cause. This means that a case may initially present in one of these possible unknown cause categories, but after further investigation or testing, a diagnosis may be determined. If that happens, the case would be removed from the possible case count. I'd like to make it clear to parents that this reporting does not necessarily mean that there is an elevated risk in the community or that you should take different steps if your children are sick. If you have concerns about your child for any reason, as you typically would, please seek care for them. If there is an infectious cause of these hepatitis cases, precautions like regular hand washing and staying away from anyone who is ill will be helpful. These precautions are also important to take for other reasons like the late season rise in influenza cases. Unfortunately, I'm sad to report that there have been three deaths due to influenza this year. My sympathies are with those who have lost a loved one. Severe outcomes from influenza and other infections are always possible 
especially for those with risk factors like older age or other health issues. The timing of the influenza season is later than normal, likely because the protective measures that were in place for COVID throughout the winter were extremely effective in stopping the spread of influenza. As influenza infections are now rising, simple actions such as keeping our hands clean and staying home when feeling unwell continue to be important in protecting ourselves and others from many contagious illnesses. Turning to today's COVID update, between Tuesday, May 2nd and Monday, May 9th, our PCR test positivity rate ranged from 16.8% to 26.1% with an average of 20.7% for the week. As the Minister mentioned, the number of people in hospital with COVID-19 decreased from the previous week. Currently, there are 1,225 people in hospital with COVID-19, including 37 in the ICU. Sadly, between May 3rd and May 9th, 70 deaths related to COVID-19 were reported to Alberta Health with an average of 10 per day. My condolences go to the loved ones of these Albertans and to anyone who has lost someone they cared about, no matter the cause. These severe outcomes show us that this virus continues to pose a significant risk to many in our province, especially those who have not yet been, been vaccinated or have not received all the doses they're eligible for. More than one vaccine dose is required for many diseases to build and maintain strong immunity as protection can wear off over time. Other viruses may change or mutate over time, making the original vaccine against them less effective. That's why booster shots or additional doses are strongly recommended for various vaccines. This is true for the COVID-19 vaccine and others such as influenza, tetanus and pertussis, also known as whooping cough. The evidence is clear for those diseases and COVID-19 that more than one dose is required to maintain a high level of protection over time. This is especially true for older Albertans. The data shows us that in the last four months, Albertans between the ages of 60 and 79 with no vaccine were more than 17 times more likely to be admitted to hospital with COVID than those with three doses of vaccine. And those in this age group with no vaccine were around 25 times more likely to be admitted to the ICU with COVID in the last four months compared to those who had three doses. These numbers make a compelling case for getting every dose you're eligible for to avoid the worst outcomes this disease can bring. As long as it's been five months since your second dose of vaccine and you're 12 years old or older, you can receive your third dose today. And as Minister Copping mentioned, we strongly recommend those who are eligible to receive a fourth dose or make arrangements to get one as soon as five months have passed since your third. No matter what dose you're receiving, vaccines continue to be available across the province by appointment or on a walk-in basis. This not only helps you to reduce your risk of getting seriously ill, but also reduces the impact on our healthcare system when as many people as possible enhance their protection. Thank you, and we're happy to take questions. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, no one here in the, uh, on site in Edmonton, but I think we've got a couple of reporters on the line, so we'll take the first caller, please. Thank you, Matt Woodman, CTB. 
Hi there. My first question is for Minister Copping. Uh, Minister, we continue to hear from Albertans who are concerned that your changes to the insulin pump therapy program will cost their families thousands of dollars, and many people are asking for the August deadline to be pushed back. Uh, my question is, is your department listening to those Albertans, and do you have any plans to push the deadline back as they've asked? No, thanks so much for the question. You know, as you as we talked about before, uh, this is part of our, our overall approach in terms of renewing our support for people with diabetes and, and the program. You know, phase one we increased coverage for uh, you know diabetes strips and other supplies. Uh, phase two was for juvenile continuous uh, glucose monitoring, and, and phase three is and this is the, the latest phase. Um, which is how do we move into so we get you know new pumps uh, and people can be get a bit, you know uh, avail themselves of the new pumps that are, that are coming out and also transforming uh, from a, a a program run by Alberta Health to uh, to one that is actually under uh, under the Blue Cross. There's roughly four thousand, so we, we are working. Uh, the, the reason we made the announcement so we can advise people that we are changing, and we did get input from the. Um, uh, the program's clinical advisory committee on on insulin pumps in terms of moving forward in the spaces because we'd heard that people want to have access to new uh, to new pumps, but we need to make sure uh, that we can do this on a uh, financially sustainable basis. So you know we've heard some concerns. We are in the process of, uh, uh, and this is why we announced it early, so we can reach out to individuals and there's uh, there's time enough to be able to get them transferred over to the uh, uh, over to the new program. Uh, you know we understand that you know the majority of individuals. Individuals uh, are either on an existing program right now or have coverage uh, in another in another program. Uh, so we're going to work through that. And then for those who don't have coverage to get them transferred over that. Um, and there's, you know, uh, there's costs associated, uh, some costs associated with that, uh, but also uh, for low income, uh, there are supports to that through our Alberta Healthcare, uh, Health uh, Blue Cross plan. Thanks, Minister. Uh, Matt, do you have a follow-up? I do. Uh, it's a different issue. Uh, you mentioned that hospitalizations are decreasing, ones related to COVID, but we're, we're still seeing an average of 10 deaths per day over the past week or so. So aside from encouraging Albertans to get vaccinated, is there more this government can do to save the lives of Albertans? Yeah, so we, we are continuing. A vaccine is the uh, the single uh, biggest tool in our arsenal to be able to protect against severe outcomes. So we continue to uh, uh, urge people to get uh, vaccinated. That's why we're, we we started another campaign to get uh, uh, to get uh, third doses. Uh, and again, ask all individuals to uh, um, to be mindful of you know uh, you know what environments that, that that they are in. As you know, especially with during the um, uh, throughout this wave, we uh, we continue to uh, to have uh, protective measures, particularly in areas where there's uh, where there's concern in the most vulnerable. Uh, so again, continuing care uh, issue, continuing care sites uh, in hospitals, and, and we're working with continuing care sites on on fourth doses. So you know that is our our, our focus. Again, my heart goes out to all families. Uh, and friends uh, who have lost loved ones due to uh, COVID nineteen, and, and we continue to, you know, the, the, you know, even though we're the, the wave is the BA two wave is coming down, uh, it's still circulating out there. So we continue to urge everyone uh, who haven't, you know, who hasn't got their shot or hasn't got their booster to please do so, because that's the best protection uh, that they can provide for themselves. Thanks, Minister. Uh, we'll take two more calls. So, operator, we'll go to the next one, please. Thank you, Madeline Smith, Edmonton Journal. Hi there. My question is for the minister. Um, minister Copping, you mentioned that there are hospitals that are over 100% capacity in uh, 
Calgary and Edmonton. Are you able to give a breakdown of what uh, numbers of those people that are causing it to be over capacity are from COVID and what are other reasons of people needing uh, care at this point in time? Yeah, I, I can't give an ex- exact breakdown. We have to, you know, uh, and maybe I can ask uh, Press Secretary Steve Buick to be able to give a uh, give a, a more detailed breakdown in terms of like, when we talk about over 100% capacity. That's um, you know I was referring primarily to uh, you know emergency departments and, and there's some inpatient wards that that are there as well uh, in certain hospitals. I I did have an opportunity last week to uh, uh, visit the Royal Alex in, in Edmonton, the the Red Deer Regional in uh, in Red Deer, and uh, and the Foothills Hospital, and have a conversation with with. Uh, um, you know, doctors and, and, and it's being driven by a number of things. So COVID is one of them. Uh, that number is coming down, um, which is, uh, you know, thankfully for that. So that is. But there's also influ- influenza. Um, we're having a late season uh, spike. So that's driving it. Uh, another issue is driving it. It's, you know, and, and it depends like the Royal Alex, for example, um, the op- opioid crisis is, is, is driving that. And then higher levels of acuity. Uh, and this goes to, uh, you know, Earlier on in the pandemic, there were uh, you know fewer people went to see their primary care docs, um, and uh, and then their conditions actually got worse, which now they need to see an emergency department to be able to address that or get or get inpatient um, uh, inpatient service. So it's a combination of all these factors. It's slightly different from uh, depending on what hospital you go to. Uh, the, the good news is is that one of these factors, COVID, we're going to start seeing a, uh, a, a you know seeing a decrease. It's starting to come now. Uh, and we'll see that over the cutting up over weeks. But the, you know, you know, the conversation I've had with the doctors is, and they're doing a variety of things to be able to uh, ensure that they can provide the service to Albertans. You know, this includes, um, you know, a- asking people to work uh, to work overtime. Uh, this includes um, having, you know, certain. Uh, inpatient areas which and ha- to handle a different type of patient uh, so they can move the res- or moving the resources around uh, as well but the, the big answer and to, to address this is building more capacity within our system and that takes time uh, as indicated we'll announce some of our progress uh, in the coming days on that um, but we are investing in our system to build capacity and quite frankly that's across the system so you know EMS uh, in our acute care uh, in hospital, uh, but we know we know we need to build that uh, so that our system can better respond not only to this peak, but it, and, and what's happening in COVID, uh, but whatever um, you know, we whatever crises we may need to respond to in the future, because we need to, quite frankly, you know, uh, stop asking our people to make high dives and and and, and do overtime to deal with with uh, with these uh, these spikes. These spikes are normal. They, uh, it's it's particularly acute right now given COVID, but the, these spikes happen over time. Um, but we need to be able to make it less of a, uh, a burden on our staff. And by, in, in the way we, the best way to do that is build capacity. Thanks, Minister. Uh, Madeline, a follow-up? Yeah, uh, Minister, a few weeks ago you had mentioned that there was going to be a campaign rolling out to encourage Albertans to uh, get their third dose or fourth dose of COVID vaccine. Um, can you give an update on where you're at with that and when we can expect to see more information on that? It's 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 happening right now. So uh, so there's a social media campaign. Uh, we've also sent out uh, uh, direct uh, direct mail to, uh, to individuals to say, hey, this is you know it's time to get your uh, to get your booster. Uh, so uh, you uh, so you can see it online, and, and we can uh, also send some of the materials to you as well. Great. Thanks for that. Uh, so we'll take one last caller, please. Thank you, Catherine Grukowski, Alberta Today. 
Oh, uh, thanks, Minister. You had mentioned um, that we need to stop making people work overtime. Um, you mentioned the strain on EMS. And today, um, HSAA President Mike Parker um, had given three suggestions for, for the EMS workforce, including um, hiring casual employees to be full-time, um, not forcing overtime. Is there any uh, desire to take take the HSAA up on those suggestions to address the strain on EMS? Well, well I think... Uh Mr. Parker, for his suggestions, uh, you know, we we recognize that there is a challenge uh, with with EMS, and and the the call volume has increased significantly. We can track it since uh, uh, since last summer. Uh, to address you know this in part, we um, you know AHS. Uh, announced a 10-point plan, and, and actually, I was pleased. It, uh, you know, yesterday they just launched a uh, uh, integrated operating center uh, for dispatch. Uh, it, 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 on top of dispatch, and here in Calgary, they have an IOC in Edmonton to be to be able to do better load leveling and, and be able to move patients through the system and send you to different area hospitals and uh, uh, urgent care centers. Uh, so that you know, that was one part of the the 10-point plan. Uh, in addition, you know, budget 2022, we're we're committing. Uh, additional $64 million uh, to EMS across the province, which includes, you know, in Calgary and Edmonton, uh, additional resources, right, to uh, to reduce the, the need to actually call upon um, our, our frontline workers to, 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 to do overtime to be able to uh, deal with the surge. And, and then lastly, uh, we also appointed a uh, advisory committee to deal with EMS, which uh, which includes Mr. Parker. And part of this advisory committee has a bunch of subtables, so they're looking at ways that they can, you know, improve you know rules around dispatch to keep uh, uh, ambulances in their home territory longer. How do we address the issues of wait times that ambulances have at the hospitals, which ha- have been challenging, particularly right now, given the huge volumes that are coming in um, that we're seeing we're seeing that grow. Um, and, but looking at different ways we can approach that, and then one one of those tables is also looking at the um, recruitment and ret- retention uh, and training of of, of EMS, um, recognizing that you know uh, this is a, a stressful job. How do we actually uh, make it less stressful? Um, you know, looking at work fatigue. So there's another initiative uh, part of that, looking at work for, work fatigue. I'm really looking forward to the committee. Uh, in which Mitchell Parker is a member, to making recommendations to me. I've asked them to make, you know, if there's any quick recommendations that, that we can make that the committee agrees with that say, hey, this can actually make a difference real time um, and not reduce uh, the safety, then then let's try them out. So I, I expect to see those uh, like in the very, within uh, very short order, like within the next week. Uh, additionally, there will be an interim report that's coming in the next few weeks um, on that, and then and then a longer-term report in the fall. So I, I fully appreciate there's issues here. I, I thank Mr. Parker for the su- suggestion, um, and as a member of the committee, to be able to work with committee members to say, you know, what can we do right now to uh, to address this that we think will all work, and, uh, and then let's try to... Sorry, Minister, it sounds like your mic went dead, at least here in Edmonton. I think we only missed the last few seconds, so we'll go on if that's okay with you. Uh, Catherine, uh, I think we owe you a follow-up, but just before that, uh, aside, uh, some of the specific questions are really for AHS as the employer. They can explain uh, you know, the impact of the collective agreement and what they're doing uh, with staffing. I'll get AHS to follow up with you separately. So thanks, and Catherine, uh, now your follow-up. Yeah, um, we're seeing, an, I think this is the second straight week, we're seeing an average of 10 people a day 
dying from COVID. Are we expecting this to be the new normal? Is this what living with COVID looks like? 10 people dying a day? Yeah, maybe I'll ask Dr. Hinshaw if she can weigh in on that. I don't know if that is uh, just a uh, what we're seeing, you know, this over the last couple of weeks, or is that that potentially is going to move down? But Dr. Hinshaw, could you weigh in on that? Sure. What we've seen in previous waves is that the first indicators that start to decline are the leading indicators that are looking at cases. So, from what we're currently monitoring, wastewater positivity trends typically are the first thing to fall, followed by hospitalization numbers. Um, that typically starts to decline next. And deaths usually is the one of the latest indicators both to rise and then to fall. So I would not expect us to see this high level of deaths continue. Uh, I would expect that this is that um, final uh, late indicator showing the impact of the BA2 surge and that as we're seeing some of those other indicators start to turn downwards, that we would expect to see the same thing in our number of deaths. Having said that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's important to know that COVID will remain with us in uh, kind of various waves. We should expect that it, it will return potentially in the fall with other respiratory viruses. And these deaths are a reminder that it is a very serious disease for many people and the importance of having uh, the all doses of vaccine that people are eligible for to make sure that people have as many layers of protection as possible against those severe outcomes. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, we'll wrap there. So uh, thanks to Dr. Hinshaw and the minister, and we'll see you again next week.